would say that we are on the back side of that now. We've got this week, and then we've got next week, um, and then on November the 10th, we're going to do something that's a, a little different, something that I'm really excited about. We're going to have a big prayer and praise service, and I understand that that's opening weekend of deer hunting, so just come in your camo. We'll have Redneck Church. It'll be fine, okay? Uh, I know we, in South Arkansas, you don't plan anything on opening weekend, but we're still going to have church because Jesus is still alive, and so you just come on to church, okay? Uh, and so I'm excited about this week because we're going to finally get into the title of our series, what I've been calling, I'm going to pray for you, is this idea of praying for someone. And we've talked all the way around prayer. We've talked about what it means. We've talked about the power of it. We've talked about how to do it. Uh, and so this week, we're going to talk about praying for others. And the fancy word for that, I've got it on the screen, is intercession. And that's, that's, a, that's a big fancy word that we throw around in church circles because it makes us sound real smart. But it just means this. There's two different words that we translate into intercession. One of them's found in the Old Testament and one of them's found in the New Testament. The Old Testament word is this. It says, uh, the definition, I guess, would be uh, to assail anyone with petitions. Doesn't that sound fantastic? Don't you want to be intercessed to be assailed with petitions. That's like I, I, I envision God in heaven and us just throwing stuff at him all the time. And, and I, I read that and I go, that's not very church-like. And so the New Testament word that we translate into intercession means this. It means to come between or interpose on behalf of a person. That sounds so much nicer, right? We're coming in between. We're interposing for someone. We are, we're the go-between between somebody and God, and we're lifting up. We're praying for them. And so my question to you as we start this morning is, how often do you do this? How often do you stop and actually pray for people. Yeah, we pray for, hopefully, you should be praying for your spouse. You should be praying for your kids. Uh, you should be praying for the people who are in your circle, right? Your close friends, uh, the people who are you kind of do life with. But when, it, when something really kind of crazy happens or when life happens really hard to someone and you know that and they come up to you and they share that story because that's what we do. We share our stories and you respond with that little catchphrase, well, I'll be praying for you or I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you this week. How often do you stop and actually do that? Is, I, I got to thinking, is there a right way or a wrong way? Is there a model for this within the life of a believer? And so this led me to Colossians chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go uh, to Colossians chapter 1. This is Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And you're going to see that, and we're going to read some of this first parts to kind of introduce all that. But here's, here's some background. Here's what you need to know about uh, the town of Colossae. Remember, this is a letter that Paul wrote. Uh, and in all of our uh, scripture, we've got to remember that this were all just written. We didn't get chapters and verses until the 1500s, and so don't worry about those, but worry about the, the form of what he's writing. He's writing a letter to a church in a town that is established. This town uh, of Colossae is really a not very important town. Uh, if you think about all the other towns that Paul wrote, like Rome and uh, Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth, those were all big major hub cities. Well, Colossae used to be that way back in, in, in Greek time, but uh, the town had been hit with a, a series of different earthquakes, and so a lot of their buildings crumbled, and they just didn't rebuild it, and so it was just kind of this, you know, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you know this or not, I, we grew up, I grew up in 
Bryant, Jessica grew up in Benton. Little Rock, North Little Rock. I don't know if you know the nickname for North Little Rock. North Little Rock is called Dogtown because that's where everybody who lived in Little Rock used to take their dogs across the river and dump them and then drive back home and say that their dog went to the farm. Uh, and so they, they just kind of refer to Little Rock, North Little Rock as Dogtown, right? And so I think about Colossae, I think about Dogtown. I think about this, this, little, this kind of know-nothing town. And of all the towns that Paul wrote, it was the least important Okay? And so he, he had, what's really interesting is that, that he had never been to Colossae when he wrote this book, when he wrote this letter. He, he had never visited them. And of the two, uh, of the 13 letters that Paul wrote, the two of them that he had, he had not visited was Colossae and Rome. He, when he wrote the book of Romans, he had not been to Rome yet. What's really neat here is that the, 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 the church at Colossae was founded by Timothy and a guy that we're going to read about today called Epaphras. Okay? This all happened when Paul was in Corinth. And we can read this all through the book of Acts. If you read through Acts, you can kind of see these things kind of playing out. And so Epaphras and Timothy went and started this church in Colossae. And, and Paul didn't have any other thing to do. He didn't know them personally. He's only heard about them. He didn't, he'd never been there to meet them individually and face-to-face. And so he did the only thing that he knew to do, and that was to pray for them. And so what we're going to read today is we're going to read some of the things that Paul prayed for this church and for the people of this church. So if you've got your Bible, let's go to uh, chapter 1. Let's just start in verse 1 because it makes sense to start there. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. This is Paul's, not only just Paul's normal greeting, this is a normal Greek greeting in the beginning of a letter. This is the two, remember, y'all remember passing love notes back and forth in school? You say to so-and-so, from so-and-so. This is exactly what he's doing, okay? And what's great is in all 13 of his letters, he, he greets people with grace and peace. Every, every time, grace and peace, grace and peace. I think the last... Three letters that he wrote were, were the, the pastoral epistles. He added then the word mercy, okay? But this is just a, this is a, how you doing? Tell your mom and them I said hi kind of thing, okay? So this is what they do. So they, he introduces the letter, obviously tells who it's to, who it's from, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Here's the hook, verse 4. Because We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring up from a hope that's stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that's come to you. So right off the bat, we see two different reasons why Paul was praying for the people in Colossae. And it says that he prayed for them because he heard of, number one, their faith, and number two, their love. Isn't that crazy? That that's, those are two reasons why we should be praying for people right now. Because of their faith and because of their love. He speaks of these obviously within, uh, within positive terms. And so let's just kind of walk through that in just a second. When you hear of someone's faith driving them. You hear of someone's faith allowing them to do things that, that only God could do, these God, big God things. You, you should stop and you should pray for those people. The very first people that came to my mind because we are so close to them is Shelton and Lauren, right? We sent them from our church to Boston. They packed up everything they knew. They moved far, far away from home and, and they're now surrendered their life to the church, not to our church or not to Harbor City Church, but to the church in general. 
and, and God's church to say, we are going to serve here in Boston and we're going to be a light to people who don't know anything about him. When I think about faith driving people, I think about that. I think about, this is incredible. They, they, they packed up their baby and, a, and I mean, I'm thinking about Shelton and a pregnant wife and he drove all the way up there and, and he's living by faith. We should be praying for them, right? But there's people right here that we should be praying for because their faith drives them to do things too. We have people who, uh, who drive around in our church buses during the week and pick up strangers and give them rides. Did you know that? We have people who drive around town in our church vans and pick up trash, trash on the sides of the road. We have, we have people who serve and who teach on Wednesday nights and, and teach kids. We have people who, who fill up holes in our playground so that kids can play in our playgrounds on Wednesday nights and not twist an ankle. We've got people who come up to the church at all times and at all times of the day to do things and to make things happen because their faith is driving them to just be expressions of that and to, to serve people. We've got people who, who go to their office day in and day out with a boss that is awful. And they respond in love and patience and kindness as an example of who Jesus is. These are people whose faith is driving them. We've got people who share their faith on a weekly basis. People who encounter folks along the way, people they work with, people they know, and they just say, you know what, I need to tell you about something that's most important. These are people whose faith are driving them, and these are the kinds of people that we should be praying for. The second kind of person he says is the love Right? He says, the, your, your faith and your love, we've heard of these two things. And, and there are some people who do things only because they love the people they're doing them for. Listen, if you've ever taught junior high students, you only teach junior high students because you just love them, right? There's no like reward. They don't walk up to you and go, thank you for pouring into us. And they don't pick you up on your shoulders and carry you around the room going, you're the greatest. You're the... They don't do that. They look at you and they, they judge you and they turn around and talk about you to their friends, right? The boys are just done. We've had, I, in our home church, we had a kid. Listen, this is true. This is before Jess and I ever got married. It was just her birthday. We had a kid walk in the room, do a somersault, stand up, lick Jessica on the cheek and say, happy birthday, and walk off. That's how you get with junior high boys. You just kind of deal with it, right? And the junior high girls don't think you're any better, girls, because y'all are like, I cannot believe you wore the same thing that I wore today. I don't like you anymore. How awful are you? That's why we're not friends with Monica anymore, right? Because they, they're just, oh, junior high. I love them. Oh, my gosh. 20 years of my life I spent dealing with junior high and high school kids. I love you. only reason why you work with them is because you love them. But do you know that we have people who who love people in our community enough that when someone passes away, that they organize and cook and feed the family of the deceased? Do you know that we have people in our church that make regular visits to the nursing home? We got one lady in our church who goes to the nursing home almost every week and paints the lady's fingernails, and they love it. We got people who, who love people. And we should be praying for them because we've heard of their faith and because we've heard of their love. 
And I got to thinking as I read through this, I thought, okay, if, if we're supposed to be praying for these, if Paul's praying for the people in, in, in Colossae because he's heard of their faith and he's heard of their love, then should we not pray even more for those whose faith is struggling and whose love is waning? Should we not be lifting up those people all the more? When, when life seems to pile on and, and it's bad news after bad news and it feels like you're treading water but somebody's grabbing your ankles and if you're honest, your faith is shaken because you're asking questions like, why, God? Why me? Why now? Why this? Why is this happening? And because we're all real good Christian people, right, we never say and want to admit this, but the reality is our faith is taking a beating. And yes, we still believe that God is good, but we question why would he allow this to happen. We know people whose faith is shaken. We know people who are struggling and who need someone to pray for them. This goes from people who have given up on God and people who feel like God has given up on them. We should be praying for those people whose love is, is strained, right? For those, we know those, those folks whose, whose marriages are being burnt at both ends, whose, uh, whose kids are just acting out because that's the only way they get the attention that they crave, for whose lives are so stressed and so pulled and, and they're, they're not really responding to people anymore, they're just reacting to people. People who normally love, maybe your best friend who just hasn't been the same lately. Because there's just so much happening. We should be praying for those whose faith is shaken and whose love is, is stressed. Those are the kind of people that we should pray for. In verse 5, he tells us that this faith and love has one source, one origination, one place, and that's the gospel that's come for you. And the gospel is really great. i got this definition up here. Uh, the gospel is the proclamation of the grace of God manifest and pledged in Christ. That sounds like a very uh, thorough definition of this, but it's just this. It's the proclamation of the grace of God. That's the gospel. Isn't that great? Isn't that great that, that all of our hope and all of our faith and everything comes from one place the gospel. So when we, in our lives, encounter people who, whose faith is shaken and whose love is drained, the easiest thing that we can pray for them is to remind them of the gospel. Just pray that God will remind them of the grace that he's given them through Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? That's, that's the easiest thing in the world that you can pray for people. When, when life is hard and things have been piled on and, and, and stress overwhelms, you can just say, God, just remind them of the gospel. God, let them know that they have grace through Jesus. God, let them feel that and let it be real to them in this very moment. And then verse six, the second half of verse 6, Paul goes on to tell us exactly what the gospel does. It says this, All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras. Remember I told you Epaphras was the one who started the church. Our dear fellow servant who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Here's my side note, and this has nothing to do with prayer. 
has everything to do with the gospel. It says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. If you've truly been introduced to the gospel, if you really understand what God's grace and and what it's about and all of its truth, then the gospel bears fruit. Which means that there's evidence of the gospel in the lives of believers. There is evidence. It means you don't live like everybody else lives. It means you don't love like everybody else means you don't, It means you don't forgive like everybody else forgives. It means you don't parent like everybody else parents. It means you don't spend your weekends like everybody else spends their weekends because there's evidence of the gospel in your life, that you're bearing fruit, that it's something that's completely different. When you truly understand the grace of God made manifest in the person of Christ, then it changes things, and there's growth, and there's fruit. And we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You remember that song? The love of the, the fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. Remember that Remember that song as a kid? And we skip over all those because you want to get to that self-control, right? You want to say that part. But what did you skip over? Gentleness. Patience. Goodness. Hey, listen, I could talk for I could talk for an hour about faithfulness. There's evidence of the gospel in the lives of believers, then let just let the evidence be your faithfulness. What, that your yes is yes and that your no is no, that when you say something's important then you make it important that you're faithful to it. When you say church, listen, when you say church attendance is important, then be faithful to it. When you say that how you spend your money is important, then be faithful to that. When we talk about our tithes and our offering, be faithful to that. When you you say you're going to serve people and you're going to love people, then be faithful to that. Faithfulness is evidence of the gospel in your life. Listen, it's supposed to be growing. It's supposed to be bearing fruit. It has nothing to do with prayer. It has, <laughs> let's keep going. Okay, i got to get back to it. Wasn't going to pass it up, though. Hello. Interesting thought is, uh, i got this in my notes because I think this is really neat. Verse 3 through verse 8, okay, in Colossians chapter 1, it's a big chunk. Verse 3 through 8 is one big, long sentence in the original language in Greek. Isn't that cool? It's like he just tells us, listen, we pray for you because of these things, and you are these things because of the gospel, and the gospel is what it is, and we brought to you by a friend Epaphras, and he told us about you in the very first place. And he just keeps talking and talking and talking and talking. It's like a middle school girl, right? And so we're just, oh, it's full circle right here, right? And so he just keeps going and going and going because he just can't stop talking about how great all this is. And let's keep reading. Because this is what he specifically, Paul and Timothy, were praying for. Verse 9. For this reason, because of your love, because of your faith, because of all the things that we've heard, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. For this reason, we've not stopped praying for you. That's cool. That's a great verse. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to be able to walk up to somebody and say, you know what, since I found out what was going on with you and what's going on with your family or what's going on with your relationships, man, I've not stopped praying for you. I've prayed every day for you. This is what Paul's able to say to this church because he's done it. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that too? He's, look what he's prayed for. 
for God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let me give you a little background on this. I didn't tell you this earlier. When, when Paul wrote this letter to Colossae, he wrote it with a specific purpose in mind. Just about every one of his letters, he's, he's talking about specific things that's going on within that church. Okay, And what's going on in uh, Colossae is this. There's, there's this mindset of teaching that we would now identify as Gnosticism. Okay, you maybe heard this word before. Maybe if you go to a, a bookstore, if you go to like a Barnes and Noble bookstore or something like that, you're going to see the Gnostic Gospels. That's no such thing. It's, that's, that's not what we're talking about. Okay, so what we're talking about here is not what we think about Gnosticism, full blown Gnosticism, but this is like grassroots Gnosticism. Here's what Gnosticism is. Okay, uh, what we understand this really developed in the second century is that all matter is evil. Anything created matter is bad. Uh, the only thing that really matters in life is knowledge and the, the gaining of knowledge. If you have, if you have this quote-unquote secret knowledge that the church, then, then you know the, like, the passcode to heaven and the secret handshake with God and you get in. But if you don't have this knowledge, then it's not good. And they, they deny the divinity of Christ because Christ was a man and all physical material things are bad. So they say that Jesus was not God. They say that the resurrection does not happen because why would God resurrect an evil body? Because the body is bad. So that's Gnosticism. Think of it as Think of it as the Scientology of the first century, okay? Scientology says there is no God. Gnosticism says there is a God. You just have to attain him through knowledge, through special spiritual knowledge that only a few people have and only a few people can share, okay? And so Paul writes this letter. is like, listen, uh, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See the reasoning behind this? He says, listen, this, this little quote-unquote spiritual knowledge that you think that you have to have, that's not, man's knowledge means nothing. We're asking for God to fill you with his knowledge, with all wisdom and understanding. Now, this is pretty interesting. The word wisdom here implies this vital knowledge of divine truth. Like when you think about gaining wisdom, you're, you're gaining some kind of like really important God truth. And understanding is the power to put those truths together and to make it all make sense. Some of you, listen, some of you are very, 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 very smart. Like you are so wise, you know right from wrong, you know what God's will is in certain situations of your life, you know what God's will is in certain situations for other people's lives, but you lack the understanding or the ability to put it all together and actually do it. Right? We know all this stuff, but there's, there's a difference between knowing it and being able to do it. There's a difference between knowing what a carburetor does and being able to install one. There's a difference between knowing how to turn a computer on and knowing how to build one. There's a, oh, this is going to hurt. There's a difference between knowing what play should have been called and being able to actually read the defense and complete the play. That just hurt some of your feelings, didn't it? Because we got a lot of armchair quarterbacks. Oh, I don't know what they're doing on the field. They should have whatever. There's a difference between knowing and doing. And here, Paul's saying, listen, I want you to have all this spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to know all the things you're supposed to know and apply it and actually do it. So... Now we know what he wants. Here's why. Verse 10. 
We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Isn't that great? This is pretty clear. We pray all these things so that you can live a life worthy and please Him. The focus and the purpose of our intercessory prayers has to be God-focused. Yes, we pray for healing. Yes, we pray for brokenness. Yes, we pray for lost relationships. We pray for people whose hurts will be healed. But we pray all of these things so that that individual can live their lives in submission to and recognize the power of God. Listen, I don't pray for you to be healed just so that you feel better. I pray that you're healed so that you can live your life as an example to other people and God's faithfulness in your life and go, let me tell you about what happened with me. I was this way, but now I'm this way. I don't pray for your marriages just so you grow old, fat, and happy together. I pray for your marriages so that you can be an example to other people and say, listen, this is what we've been through and this is what we've gone through. And the Bible says that we're supposed to spur one another other spur one another on onto good deeds, right? Love and good deeds. And so I'm, I'm praying that for your marriage to be mended so that you on the backside of that can go, look what God brought us through. And if he brought us through this, listen, he can bring you through this too because we're a walking example of this. That's what intercession is. It's not just praying for something just for that sake. It's praying for something so that God's name is glorified through that prayer. It's that we're praying this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. It's not just feel better, save your marriage, watch over your kids, keep your family safe. It's all those things so that we can show other people how God has watched over, repaired, healed and fixed and mended us. That's the whole point of intercessory prayer. And at the end of this, he's, he's got this really great colon. Do you see that? Though he may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, colon. He tells us exactly and specifically what we should be praying for. Okay, this is great, and this is how we're going to end up. We've got six things here. He's about to list off six things. We're going to talk about each one of these, and then I'm going to give you my last thought, and we're done. Second half, verse 10, says this. Uh, we pray these things in order you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now, if you are very logical like I am, you love this because this is very explicit. This is very laid out for us. You want to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him? What are the areas of life we should be praying for other people? Here they are. Number one, bear fruit in every good work. We just talked about this earlier, right? goes back to this evidence of the grace that has been given to us. Jesus actually taught this in Matthew chapter 7, if you remember this. Every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot get bear good fruit. He's saying, listen, if you are a good tree, if you are a child of God, then you should be bearing good fruit. He says, you, you, you can't. You literally cannot bear bad fruit. 
And so our prayer, number one, is that they bear fruit. That we should be praying that people's lives are, are full of the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. We're going to get all this we've already talked about. Number two, growing in the knowledge of God. Listen, if you want to be, live a life that's worthy of the Lord, then you have to be a life of a learner. And I know that just knocks a lot of us out. We don't like that, right? Because the problem is we've got a room full of people who have just enough Jesus and they, if we're honest, we really don't want any more because we're good. We're good. But the problem is we're not. We're not good. We need to be learners. But learners requires accountability. It requires more surrender. It requires more sacrifice. We should be continually growing. We should be continually growing deeper in our relationship, deeper in our love, deeper into what God has called us to. We should be praying that individuals that you love grow in their knowledge of God, in their process of learning. Pray that, that sermons and that Bible studies are not just, you know, we got this, oh, that was a good time in the Word. I pray that it's not that. I have people every week, and I love it, and I love you people. Please hear me. Hear my heart. I love it when you walk by and go, that was really good, Matt. That was a really good sermon. That was really good. That was a really good sermon, because, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching fire up here, you know what I'm saying? So that, that's just like an affirmation. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but when you walk out and say that, you know what I want to do? I want to shake everyone and you go, don't just hear it. Do it. Don't just let it be a really good sermon. Well, that was a really good sermon. I'm going to think about that at lunch, and I'm not going to think about it for the rest of the week. You can't just hear it. You've got to do it. You, gotta, you can't just let your time in the Word just be a, a nice time in the Word or a good time at church. You've got you to take it, and you've got to dig into it. And listen, I'm scratching surfaces here. What you do at home is when you get into Word and you get into it, and you really start to apply it and you start making changes in the way you live your life. Then you're, you're growing in the knowledge of God. It's exactly what he just said earlier, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You've got to know it and you've got to apply it. Number three, that they be strengthened. That's an interesting word. Matter of fact, this is a word that in the original language is only used one time in Scripture, and it's right here. I, I like those words because it's, it's a, like a unique word, right? It's, it's, it's something that, that Paul threw in there to kind of grab everybody's attention and go, why, why do you use that word? He says he wants us to be full of, uh, you know, bear fruit, and he wants us to grow in knowledge, and then he wants us to be strengthened. What, what in the world? Strengthened for what? For the attack. Because whenever you live your life, and you're trying to live for God, there's going to be an attack every time. And if we love people, and if we are praying for people, then we need to pray that people stay strong, that, that they do what they're supposed to do, that they stand when life is hard, that they help them fight off temptation, that when they, they keep them from being caught up in things that are wrong and going places to do things that they shouldn't do with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong things, right? This is all done in strength. And too many of us are weak. Right? Too many of us are giving in because giving in is easier. Giving in is just going with the flow. It's just so much easier. But when God says, I need, or Paul looks at us and says, I'm praying that you be strengthened, 
I'm wanting you to stand up against this thirst, right? For us men, we go back, I go back every time to our four men Bible study. The very first semester we did this, we did a study called Act Like Men. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says this, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. If I could say that, I would preach that every Sunday. Men, act like men. Quit walking around like you're so defeated. Oh, life is so hard. I've got, I've got a job, a stupid job, and I've got kids and crazy schedules and a wife. And Quit acting like that. Act like a man and be strong and be on guard and be alert and let everything you do be done in love because that's how a man acts. Women, there's not a Bible verse that says, act like women. I wish there was. It was like, act like a woman, right? That doesn't say that. But it does say this in Proverbs 31. It says this. It's really great. She is clothed. Y'all know this. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Let me tell you something, women. That's strength. Be strong. Be ready for the attack because you know the attack is coming. And you pray for other people to be strong. Because they need it. Number four, endurance. Right? Pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit, every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, bearing, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, that you may have great endurance. Don't give up. When life is hard, things kind of get thrown at you, don't Give up. Hebrews 12 tells us, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let's let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. I I heard a story this week. Can I tell you? This is, I feel like I'm stealing. We went to the uh, Arkansas Baptist State Convention this last week, and uh, Monday was the pastor's conference, and it's always really pretty good. And uh, there was a guy who got up and told a story in his sermon, and I'm going to steal his story. Is that okay? Because it's true. And I, I'm just telling you off the bat, I wish I'd done my research and found this on my own, but I couldn't. I didn't know it even existed. So here's what happened. This is great. 1983. 1983 was the very first ultra marathon. TJ and Dustin are like, yeah, that's a good story. Ultra marathon, it's from Melbourne, Australia to Sydney, Australia, 544 miles. And these people are going to show up and run it. And all these incredible athletes come to Australia. There's a prize at the end of it. They're going to win if they, they finish it. And, and they sign up and, and out comes along a 61-year-old potato farmer with his dentures and his overalls on and a pair of galoshes. And he walks up to the registration desk and says, I want to enter the race. And everybody laughs at him. His name is Cliff Young. And, and he, he, he says, no, I, I, I want to do this. I want to give it a shot. And they were like, oh, okay, whatever. And say, they sign him up. And, and they get ready for the, the starting whatever and the ceremonies and all this kind of stuff. And Cliff gets over there with all the other racers. And he's kind of looking around like, I don't look like any of these other guys. And he's 61. And they blow the thing and he takes off running and everybody starts laughing at him. Because his run, I don't know if you've ever seen a runner run. I've seen Doug Spencer run. Doug looks like a gazelle running, right? Like his legs unfold and he's just like taking strides. And I'm, This is incredible. I, I don't run like that. I probably run a lot like this 61-year-old potato farmer. 
And, and as a matter of fact, they had this thing they call it the, the young shuffle. It's just the way he ran. He just had this kind of lumbering, kind of goofy, small step, kind of just shuffle. And off they go. Everybody's laughing at him. And uh, five days later, five days, 15 hours and four minutes later, Cliff Young finishes the race in first place. And he didn't beat his other runners by an hour. He beat them by over nine hours. A 61-year-old man ran 544 miles, nine hours faster than men a third of his age at the peak of their physical condition. You know how he did it? They interviewed him after it was over with, and they came up to him and said, How in the world did you just do this? And he's like, I just ran it. And they said, well, well, how long did you sleep? And he said, sleep. No, nobody told me I was supposed to stop and sleep. <laughs> For five hours and 14 minutes, he continually ran. Did not stop one time to nap. Other runners would run and get you like a six-hour sleep in the middle of the night and then get up the next morning and can run. Cliff ran for five days, 14 hours, and four minutes, and won the very first ultra marathon in history. It's incredible. He, he won it, didn't know he was supposed to stop and sleep, and didn't know there was the prize at the end. There were five other runners. He got like, in that 83, he got like $10,000, something like that for, for, for winning. And he didn't know that there was a prize. He, quote, felt so bad that he gave, the, he split the prize money with the other, the other runners. He said, well, they did everything I just did. I didn't do it for the money. He gave his money. He walked away with nothing. And they said that when he was running, he, he got to running so much and so hard that his dentures were rattling. So he took them out and put them in his pocket and ran some more. Like, this is incredible. How did he do that? He endured. When it got hard, he just, they said, have you ever done anything like this? He said, I've run for days trying to catch a sheep that I've in my farm. He said, that sheep will run off. I'll, I'll just run for days trying to catch up with them. He said, I just figured I could do this too. He just endured. Listen. Some of us, when it gets hard at that very first hill, we stop and we give up. We know people who, when life just gives them a little bit of a curveball, they throw their hands up, it's done. We're supposed to be praying for people to have endurance. Because it's never, ever promised that it's going to be easy. It's never, ever promised that that's not going to have, be hard. Jesus tells us, right, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world, right? That's, 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 that's scripture, and we, we know that Jesus is saying, listen, it's not all roses and dandelions from here. It's going to be hard. Endure. Make it through the hard time. Pray for people to endure. Paul's telling us, pray that you endure. You don't give up. So we're supposed to pray that they bear fruit, pray that they grow in the knowledge of God, pray that they be strengthened, pray that they endure. Number five, pray for patience. Man, isn't that something great to pray for somebody else for? Because <laughs> if you've ever prayed for patience, you know. You're like, don't pray for yourself. Because what does God do when you pray for patience? He puts you in situations where your patience is going to be tested. 
And then every time we lose our patience and we have to pray for more of it, right? That's what we do. So praying for somebody else for patience is fantastic. Pray for them. God, let them be patient. Let them, let them know that you have perfect time. And God, I don't want to be patient. I, I just want them to be patient, right? So pray for their patience. Sometimes they just need to be, isn't it hard? Isn't it hard just sometimes to wait and just to, to know that you want something for so long, but you have to just wait for it? On Wednesday nights, we're talking about King David. We're doing a study on David. This is like week 10 of our study on week David. Uh, study uh, on King David. And, and, and David was promised something, and it took him 15 years before it happened. When Samuel came and anointed David, it was 15 years later he finally became king. Talk about waiting. Talk about patience. We need to be praying for people and their patience. And number six, lastly, giving thanks. Right? It says, uh, being strengthened in the power of according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. And we prayed all these things. We give thanks to God who makes all these things possible, who's given us an inheritance, who brought us into the life. We could literally talk about giving thanks all day, every day. So these six, we're supposed to be praying for other people. Bear fruit, grow in knowledge, be strengthened, endure patience and giving thanks. And so here's my last thought, and, and I'm going to be done. I was going to say you can't pray, but what I, I'm, I've modified that to say that you shouldn't. You should not pray these things for someone else unless you're living them yourself. You should not pray these things for someone else unless you're living it. How dare we? How dare we pray for someone else to bear good fruit when our fruit's rotten? How dare we pray for someone to grow in the knowledge of God when we're stuck in perpetual spiritual infancy? How dare we pray for someone else to be strong and withstand temptation when we are continually giving in to something that we know is in direct opposition to God? How dare we pray for someone to have patience when we lose ours at every turn? And how dare we pray for endurance for someone else if we're going to give up? How dare we? If you're going to pray it, you better live it. The problem is there's not enough of us that are willing to live it because it actually takes sacrifice. It actually takes surrender. We have to actually be willing to what the Bible says, take up our cross and follow him. You know where Jesus was going with his cross? He was going to die. He was going to die from his will or his ambition or from his agenda. He was going to die from his purpose and his want and his desire. And he was going to die to say, you know what? God, whatever you want is more important than what I want. But there's not enough of us willing to actually live it. We'd rather just pray it. And I'm telling you, you cannot, you should not pray this for someone else unless you're willing to live it yourself. You have to bear fruit. You have to grow. You have to be strong. You have to endure. You have to be patient. And you have to give thanks. Live it so that you can pray it. So here's your homework. I've been giving you that, of course, of the few weeks. I don't know if I did that last week or not. The first week I told you to uh, pray and pray for five minutes more. Next week I told you to write down your prayers. I told you to uh, pray specifically, right? We've talked about praying specifically. And so here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to stop saying, I'll pray for you. Isn't that interesting? What are you talking about? Stop saying it. 
When somebody comes up to you and shares something with you, something that's going on in their life, stop saying, I'll pray for you. Just stop and pray for them. This is something I started trying to do a long time ago, and I don't do it all the time. I'm not great at it. People come, as a pastor, people come to all the time. Hey, this is going on in my life. Hey, this is going on in my life. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And I go, yes, I will. I promise I will. And I, I do my very best. I write their names down. I, I have lists in my office of people that I pray for. And, and I try to remember to go back and pray for those people. But I've, I've stopped saying that. And I've just said, why don't we just stop and pray right now? This is what's going on in your life. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. But let me, let me just stop and pray for you right now. So stop saying this and start doing it. Stop saying, I'll pray for you and pray these six things. God, I pray that they can endure whatever is going on in their life. I pray that you give them patience while you figure out the plan and while while you know the plan and they figure out the plan. God, I pray that you let them bear fruit in the season. of Pray those six things over somebody. Stop saying it and do it in the moment. It'll be awkward because you'll be in the middle of Walmart. Somebody come up to you and tell you what's going on, and you'll tell, you know what, I'm going to pray for you right now on the cereal aisle in Walmart. And you pray. You know what, I'm, I'm going to be at the ball field. I, I'm going I'm to stop, and I'm going to pray at the ball field. I, I'm out, and I'm doing this, and I'm running, or I'm on the phone. One of the greatest experiences of my life is I led a teenage girl to Jesus over the telephone. And we stopped, and we prayed. Listen, stop saying it and do it. But if you're going to do it, you better live it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you an opportunity right now. Dustin's going to be up here. TJ's going to come and sing. And we're going to give you an opportunity to respond just to whatever God's telling you to do. If you said, you know what, I need to start living this myself. I need to really, this was, this was pointed more in here than it is out there. You need to start bearing fruit. You need to grow in knowledge. You need to be patient. You need to endure. You need to do all those things. Then then this is your moment. To say, God, I I need to start doing this myself. And some of you got people that you know right now that you should be praying for. People whose faith and love is either strong or strained. And you know you need to be praying for them. God, I want to just stop and I want to pray. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.